What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Big Shots NFL Draft Podcast. I'm your co-host, Devin Jackson. Uh, my guy, usual co-host, uh, Mike Hernishan, he is uh, still, you know, dealing with some family things. So he's uh, he'll, he'll be back next week, though, uh, for sure. But I got a special guest today. Uh, I got uh, Jeremiah Bogan. He is a contributor with, with the first pick, uh, pro football ready. Um, he ho- co-hosts the All Around the Block podcast, as well as he's uh, also currently a defensive back for Limestone University. Jeremiah, thank you for coming on the show, and uh, welcome, man. Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. So uh, I, I know you uh, spend time, you know, when you're not practicing or whatnot, you write about, you know, NFL Drive prospects, uh, you know, obviously watch a lot of football. Uh, how, how have things been going the last couple of weeks, man? Uh, have you been enjoying, you know, some of the college football games? Yeah, last week was kind of weird because the, the season just popped up on us. No, with no preseason football or anything like that, it just kind of happens. So you tune into some of the games last week. I didn't get into much because, you know, it wasn't as big of games. So I was still a guy still kind of stuck in baseball season mode for a little bit. <laughs> but uh, this week we had a really good slate of games, I, I believe. So can't wait to talk about some of the guys who impressed me this weekend. Yeah, you, you talk about some of the guys uh, that played this past weekend. The ACC and Big 12 were both in action this weekend. Uh, you know, we saw – Quarterbacks from Brock Purdy to Trevor Lawrence. Uh, and, you know, you, you saw Sam Howell, 2022 potential top quarterback. Uh, who were some of the guys that stood out in your mind uh, in terms of the, the top talent, uh, specifically in the 2021 class? Guys that you were looking forward to coming into the weekend. And then uh, when, when it finally unfolded, uh, guys that uh, impressed you. So there's a couple guys, as far as since we go to the ACC with it, uh, Brevin Galloway from Clemson was a guy I kind of had my eye on as a guy who I live in the state of South Carolina. So I know some of his credentials as he was a good high school basketball player. He decided to go with football towards his high school career. So, you know, tight ends that used to be uh, former basketball players, is always a good thing. So he ended up not being able to play last year with some due to some issues. But he's a guy I was ready to come out and see. I thought he had a pretty good game, blocked a lot better than I thought, actually. And I was a little disappointed because the player that I want to see the most for Clemson wasn't Trevor Lawrence, but it was Darian Kendrick, the cornerback from Clemson. He's a guy who I think he could end up becoming a day two prospect at corner. He has all the goods as far as hip fluidity, uh, acceleration, short area quickness. He's got some deep downfield speed. Struggled a little bit in the national championship game, but people also have to remember he was a first year corner. He's a guy that just moved over to the receiver from the receiver position last year and was second team all ACC. So that says a lot about his game to, for him to improve and show that much improvement. Therefore, I thought this year would be the year, okay, he takes off and maybe gets stuff into the back of the first round conversation because it's such a deep corner class and you can never have enough corners at this point in the way the NFL is going. So he was the one guy that stood out big for me in that game. Um, And you talked a little bit about the corner position. Obviously, you play DB, uh, you Mm -hmm. know, at Limestone University. Uh, Do you kind of take what you kind of learn and and have kind of developed over, you know, the years of playing defensive back uh, and use that when evaluating defensive backs and and looking at guys that are up and coming or guys that may catch your eye? Absolutely. Uh, So I actually, about two summers ago, I enrolled in the scouting academy where I got some NFL level training, scouting, scouting some guys at different positions, receiver corner, I did receiver corner, offense line and defensive line. So I could give you some interior, some interior reports, but I like to stick to my niche as far as it's an easier position to evaluate with the time that I have on my hands throughout the week. And it's been, it's been good 
being able to use my experience from the position and being able, being able to see what some people can't see from the corner position. Like some people just see, oh, he's tall, it looks good, blah, blah. But for me, I'm a big guy. I'm big on movers. Like the first thing I look for in a corner is can he move, can he flip his hips, can he change directions? And then on second, when you look at safeties, it's a hard position to scout because you don't always know what's going on. So I know if I can picture – look at a cover, I can be like, okay, I know where his eyes are supposed to be. And his eyes aren't there. So now I can grade his eye discipline, which helps you grade out his football intelligence and his field awareness. And it helps you find out so why some guys aren't playing as fast as they should be or playing as fast as their athleticism says they should. So it's helped a lot. And I kind of want to dive a little bit more because uh, that, that was really intriguing. Um, what is your typical week go? How does your typical week go with, you know, balancing practices and meetings uh, as well as writing those scouting reports and, and taking the time to watch film on, uh, you know, these uh, NFL draft prospects? So last year I got into the writing business last year towards the end of my season. So I only had about a week, week or two left in the season. So I said, okay, I'll get into this a little bit, start to use some of my knowledge throughout the year because I had a couple people throughout the season who were asking me to write and I was like I just don't have the time for it so luckily a guy named by the name of Joel Bishop at Pro Football Ready reached out to me gave me a chance to write and it was a little it's not it's more of a startup uh, company with his so it was good for me to get in there nothing too serious I wouldn't be obligated to write this many articles in this amount of time like I don't ever want to give out bad work or poor performance so what I got into was I got to do articles more my profile already articles are more fun stuff before I actually got into some of my scouting reports with the first pick. I have scouting reports at profile already as well. So during the summer, I kind of lost track of writing after this last draft cycle because I've started training three or four times a day. And then this year we've got, you know, there's no season right now. My team's playing, it doesn't play until the spring. So I've got a little bit more time in my hands, but I'm still balancing grad school and workouts and practice, things of that nature and meetings. So, uh, now I'm trying to get back into it with college football coming around, trying to get a little more articles. Uh, funny story, I actually used one of your tweets today in my scouting report that I released on Sean Wade that came out today. And he's the guy that I was able to drop for a scouting report for quick because I still had some information on him from last year that I had, put all my information together on him and my final scouting report that I sent out today. So look out for that. It's out and with the first pick uh, today if you haven't seen it. So go give it a read. Yeah, uh, Sean Wade is always something that intrigued me. I know a lot of people talk about Jeff Okuda, you know, Damon Arnett. But uh, Sean Wade is an interesting prospect because he's someone that played, you know, the nickel position, the slot corner. Mm -hmm. And this season was supposed to be the season that he makes that transition and play exactly. outside corner. Uh, so, you know, kind of not giving away too much of what you put in your scouting report. What were some of the strengths and weaknesses you saw from Sean Wade uh, you know, with him declaring today officially uh, opting to the NFL draft, uh, what were some of the things that you saw, you know, on film that, you know, things that uh, he may, you know, look good in doing and then some things that he needs to improve on if he wants to make that transition outside corner? So one of the biggest trends for me is that I learned in the past from the scouting academy is to scout with context. So look at the whole situation. He played with two first-round corners, correct? So think about what Ohio State had at two guys already starting on the outside that are first-round corners. They didn't need him. They didn't need him to have to play. But the fact that Ohio State switched to a nickel-based defense just to get him on the field says a lot about the player he is. And then for him to move around as much as he did in that Ohio State secondary, which showed off his best strength, which is versatility, mm -hmm. you have to be a pretty smart guy and have good football IQ to play different positions and play it at a high level. So that was my biggest thing for him, just his versatility. I think he's an excellent tackler. He's – incredible in run support 
takes on blocks, strong at the point of attack. Very, and surprisingly, he's good at – you think a guy as big as him wouldn't be as good playing coverage in the slot, but if you turn on the Penn State game from last year, he ran with K.J. Hamler without any trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, K.J. Hamler, KJ Hamler gave some guys in the Big Ten a lot of <laughs> yeah. work last year. Yeah, he did. So, But my biggest weakness for him was what you mentioned earlier. He can't – he's not going to be able to have that tape of him playing at the outside corner position, which is supposed to be his big year for him and could have elevated draft stock more. And I think now that's going to put – people in the position where they're going to overthink him as a prospect when really he's the ultimate chess piece guy in a game that loves versatility these days. Um, I know this isn't like a, a real uh, exact comp, but he kind of reminds me of, of Minka Fitzpatrick with his ability mm-hmm. to kind of play so many different positions. Uh, yeah. You know, Minka, he played corner safety, played a little bit of everything Alabama. I can see Sean Wade being, he could be, you know, that's that corner slash safety kind of that mix uh he has the the range and ability um now again kind of back into uh we were talking about earlier some of your your guys that uh you've really liked in this 2021 uh draft cycle i know you you say you're kind of balancing you know practice workouts and such Mm -hmm. Uh, but what were some of the guys uh that you know not exactly the the blue chip guys like the micah parsons trevor lawrence players like that what are some of those guys those uh guys that maybe day two, day three guys that if you really gain a liking to. So I actually did an article last week about where, how the opt-outs for different players affects, who's, it gives way to the next wave of stars that we don't know about in the country. And one guy I pointed out was how the opt-out of Michael Parsons actually gave way to Chasserat becoming a superstar. Chasserat, the linebacker from uh, North Carolina, and he ended up having a huge weekend. He had nine tackles, two sacks, two and a half TFLs. And he's a guy I like a lot in last year's cycle when he really wanted him to come out because last year was a weak linebacker class. Yeah. So I think it would have been a good a good chance for him to have even risen into maybe, you know, crazy things happen in the draft. Maybe he does get in the back of the first round. You never know. And he's a guy that I love to see. Some other under-the-radar prospects, uh, Sante Samuel Jr., uh, he actually had a big weekend, which was exciting for me to see him catch two picks because he's a guy who's going to get knocked a lot for his size. But right. he's, got, he's got some instincts the same way his dad did playing the position and I'd love to see that as far as Pac-12 guys who I missed out and I think mm-hmm. we're going to miss out on that I think are sleepers I think Davis Mills is going to take a huge jump possibly a Joe Burrow like jump because people have to remember scattered context once again Davis Mills was number one quarterback in the country coming out of high school mm-hmm. five-star guy sat a couple years behind KJ Costello who I think is going to have a big year at Mississippi State as well could potentially have a Joe Burrow rise too uh, Davis Mills is a guy really instinctual player good at football IQ. He's got all the tools that you need to play the quarterback position. And then lastly, my guy who's off the radar that I love, Jack Jones, corner from Arizona State. Whenever you whenever I do prospects, I like to keep I like to compare guys and group guys. Mm-hmm. Because eventually when you do your rankings, it's like, okay, if I have this two five nine corners, I want to move him up. He has to be better than this five nine corner in order for me to move him up in the rankings. So Jack Jones is the guy who I intertwined him and Asante Samuel throughout the process. And I really thought Jack Jones could take a big jump this year. He played the way he played last year, might be the best mover of this class as far as hip fluidity and just overall feel in space. And I was, I was really excited to see him play. So I hate to see that the Pac-12 canceled, but he was the guy that I was going to be excited about. And I know we discussed some more corners, uh, some more SEC corners. We talked about the Tennessee corners a little bit as well. Uh, mm-hmm. On Twitter, uh, someone I like uh, in the corner class is Bryce Thompson. Uh, yes. He's a rising junior. Uh, someone that is, is really flown under the radar. I think Tennessee's defense in general 
you know, they had, uh, I believe, Derek Barnett um, yep. and, and another one of the edge guys, uh, I think, Taylor. I uh, can't remember his first name, but though those have kind of got attention, but uh, those those Tennessee corners they're they're pretty good too as well. Uh, there there's some some of the corners that that caught my eye as well. Uh, Pac-12 wise, uh, Cameron Bynum he he opted out, but that's another corner that I really like. Uh, yeah. Really technical, technically sound. Uh, not doesn't have great speed, you know, or, or you know, great recovery speed, but technically technicality wise, he's he's a really good corner. Um, there's some other guys that uh, you know, maybe some more top guys that uh, you're you're looking at or, or have gained a liking to as well. Uh, in the SEC or just overall from that position? Uh, overall from that position. Well, surprisingly, those two guys do come from the SEC. <laughs> I'll start with my cornerback number two on my preseason board so far. I've tried to scrape out a top ten. I only got to about a top five. But J.C. Horn's going to be number two for me. I don't think people realize how good he is. People have to watch. He's probably the best technician in press coverage that I've seen on film all summer from guys that I've studied. And to be honest with you, I spend my time in the summer studying pro players more than I study the college players from last year. And he's got better press technique than most NFL cornerbacks. He's a guy who's got length. He can run a little bit. He's got good spatial awareness as his own defender. He can lock up man-to-man coverage. He uses his length to disrupt people, to disrupt the catch point. So he's going to be a guy. He plays. If you watch the Alabama game from last year, he played really well. And I think a lot of people are giving their attention to Israel Mukwambu, the corner on the other side, just because he's a six-four guy. But he's a guy that I'm not really high on. So, but that's another that's another story for another day because I don't really want to talk about him today. And my cornerback one is actually from the SEC as well. Pat Sertan. It's easy. I don't think this is a guy that I've been waiting on since he was a true freshman to take the throne in this class. Uh, the funny thing about Patrick Tan is people have kind of not really talked about him a lot in the cycle. Everybody's trying to find a guy that they can push up the board. Everybody wants to be the guy who has say, oh, I had a different cornerback one. And people are trying to push up Caleb Farley. But Patrick Tan Jr. is literally the guy who every year in the cornerback class, people will try to raise up a prospect because of his size or because he has speed or something. And it's like those guys never have the complete package, but we push them up the board. And it's like Patrick Tan is literally everything we want that people hope for. And he's he's not getting the same attention. I think he's a lot for cornerback one in this class. I don't really see him getting passed. Yeah, I I really like him as well. Uh, for me, yeah, he's cornerback one. I had Caleb Farley as two, but uh, I haven't taken a deep look at J.C. Horn or uh, Mukamaru uh, yet, just yet. But I, I definitely will get to those guys. Um, but yeah, I I even last year I thought Sertain was uh, better than uh, Trayvon Diggs. Um, just just everything about him like as soon as he stepped foot on campus you know people were pretty hyped about him at Alabama uh backstory I actually cover Alabama during the uh 2018 season um and uh I I, um was a reporter uh, like a video reporter for a small magazine down in Alabama but I got to see him as a freshman I got to see Tua uh Jerry Judy Henry Ruggs, all of them. And they, that was before they even blew up. So I, I knew all of them were going to be uh, first-round draft picks back then, uh, which is crazy. Like, I hear all these names in Alabama now, and it's like it just rings in my ear because I, I just remember those names being mentioned. And they were young guys, and now they're kind of maturing to their own. And Alabama is truly an a NFL factory. I mean, they, they have players come through every single class that gets drafted in the NFL first round. It, it, it's insane. Um, but you, you talked a little bit earlier also about uh, some of the corners that you uh, study in the NFL. 
uh, what were some of, the, some of those guys that you study and that you really took a deep look into uh, in, in the offseason? Uh, every year I go back and study Jalen Ramsey. I, it doesn't change that I believe he's the most talented, most gifted cornerback in the NFL. He's in, absolutely insane. Study a lot of Stephon Gilmore this year because I think Gilmore is the epitome of a guy having all the athletic tools in the world and actually putting the football IQ to go with it. Was what we usually have a problem with guys who have all the tools, but they can't put together as far as mentally, the mental side of football. And Stephon Gilmore is, if you get a chance to ever watch his tape out of this world, excellent technique, high football IQ, understands everything. He's a smart gambler. Uh, I study guys like Patrick, Peter, Patrick Peterson, Marcus Peters, because Marcus Peters takes a lot of gambles, but I still think he does a lot of good things at the corner position. A player that I was, got really deep into who doesn't play corner, he's actually safety. Favorite player I studied this summer, Buda Baker. Do I think he's the best safety in football? No. Did he get paid like the best safety in football? Yeah, but I think everything that he is as a football player, you can see why they paid him that money. He's a guy who plays with relentless effort. He hits everything in his sight. And he's actually a guy that I compare to my, my favorite prospect in this year's class, not the best player, is actually Paris Ford from Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah, and that, he, he comes downhill. He's a dude, and that's who I that's who I see Buda Baker. I think him and Buda Baker play a lot of like. So that's why I love watching NFL film in the summer because you you find out okay this is what an NFL player looks like. So when I watch college prospects, I'm like okay is he this player now or can I see him getting to this level as a player? Right. So that's really big for me. Uh, going to some of the NFL action this weekend, a lot of NFL games yesterday. Uh, you know, we had. The early games, a lot of them were blowouts, not really too many close games. Uh, then you had the late games, you know, had the debut of Joe Burrow, you know, had Breeze and Brady. Uh, what kind of stood out to you yesterday in terms of games? And uh, were there some first-year guys uh, that uh, you scouted last last uh, draft season that, that stood out to you? Uh, I'm a Sunday ticket guy, so I flip around at every mm -hmm. single game that there is. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of what I watched the first games yesterday was the Packers and Vikings. I was a little disappointed in how Cam Dantzler played, but then again, I don't think people should take that too much into account because Cam Dantzler was lined up on Devontae Adams most of the day. And so, and then on top of that, I don't recall seeing Jeff Gladney play yesterday, and Jeff Gladney was taken before Cam mm -hmm. Dantzler. Yep. And Dantzler was, I believe, I think he was my fourth corner in last year's cycle, if I can remember correctly. So getting to see guys like uh, Troy Pride, I believe he was my seventh or eighth corner in last year's cycle. Uh, he he had a pretty good showing, gave up a touchdown yesterday, though. So those are things that I'm actually looking forward to doing around week eight or so. Probably going to try to go back and talk about how my rookies have done so far up to this point. Mm -hmm. Obviously, C.J. Henderson had <laughs> – he had himself a hell of a day last night or yesterday afternoon. So he looks like he's going to be destined to be a really good corner in the NFL. Really disappointed that Jeff Okuda didn't get to play. Had some hamstring injuries. Yeah. Hearing a lot, hearing a lot about the you know Matt Patricia is a guy from the Bill Belichick tree, so he wants to make rookies earn it. So Okuda actually wasn't listed as a starter anyway. They I think have Amari or Ruye starting over him. So whenever Okuda gets back, though, I think people are going to see why he's the best quarterback prospect of the last decade that I believe. I just don't think. You, there's guys like that. Obviously, Derek Stingley's going to come next year and crush all of that. But. <laughs> right. But, yeah, uh, yeah, Jeff Oku is someone that, you know, immediately you you had to have his uh, DB1. He, he just Ooh. stood out from the rest, and teams just would not throw his way at all in the Big Ten last season. Um, 
you know, kind of wrapping things up, uh, you know, you talked about Jalen Ramsey's technique. Did you get a watch, chance to watch uh, yesterday's game, uh, Cowboys-Rams? I did. I did get to watch it. <laughs> so, it obviously, was- so obviously, you know, people are, you know, crying about the offensive pass interference there at the end of the game. Uh, but Jalen Ramsey made a really, really uh, impressive play yesterday. Um, it was uh, on the third down. Uh, I believe it was an out route to Amari Cooper. Cooper? Yeah, yeah, that was beautiful. Yeah, that uh, that play, uh, I think that, you know, simply put was one of the plays that was the reason he got paid big time, you know, mm-hmm. last week. I don't think people understand how smart of a football player Jalen Ramsey is, though. The thing with Ramsey is we have to remember that his freshman year at Florida State, he was the guy in their defense who was the chess piece. He was a safety. He moved a corner. He moved around, played in the box, was a, was a linebacker in sub packages. And people don't understand that's – he can do whatever he wants on the football field. He can go play press man on your best guy, follow him around, and then he can come hit you and light you up like a safety. He's going to tackle. He's going to play physical. He's going to talk. Was the best part. It was the best part of watching him for me. But yesterday – he showed why he's the highest paid player for a while. I like for the Rams to play him more in press man situations, but I do understand playing some off man, got to mix it up a little bit because you do have to be weary of the other guys around you. So. So are there some uh, other articles or some things you have in the works over the next couple of weeks that uh, you're going to be working on in terms of writing? Uh, hopefully I can get into some, Matchups going into the next few weeks. Uh, SEC is coming in about what two weeks, I think. Yeah, yeah, twenty sixth. Mm-hmm. So probably gonna go ahead and try to try and get ahead. I might start working on some previews for those games earlier, so I can go ahead and push them that week that it comes. I'm already excited for KJ Costello getting his first test of the year against LSU secondary, which could be could be rough, but it yeah. could be a coming out. It could be a coming out party for him. People have to understand with him, he was also big-time quarterback coming to high school, five-star guy, has all the tools. I think at Stanford, he got bailed out a lot by having the J.J. White size, the big tight ends that he could just loft it up to. And he struggled last year when those guys weren't on the field with him anymore. Mm-hmm. So, But I still think he there's a lot of tape with him making NFL throws. So at the end of the day, he's still a guy who can be a first-round talent at the quarterback position. He has all the tools, has the size. Got the funky throw on motion, kind of in the Phillip Rivers mold that makes you <laughs> – Makes you cringe a little bit, but he's a guy that I'm really excited about that first week. And then just trying to hope, trying to get to the – I think about the week eight point, like I mentioned earlier, going to go back, look at my top ten corners, study some of the – like three games each of those guys, two or three games each of the guys, and go back and see where see where I missed, see where I was right, see where I was wrong. You got to accept your hit. You got to accept your hits. You got to accept your misses in this process. You're not sure. always going to be right. I know for a fact. I think my first – my corners last year went uh, – Akuda obviously, Henderson, after but Henderson was after the combine. I had AJ Terrell as my cornerback too throughout mm-hmm. the whole process, and people laughed at me. I said he was top twenty pick back in like October, and then lo and behold, he goes top twenty. And I was like, well, <laughs> one game, <laughs> one game doesn't make a prospect. It doesn't shouldn't break a prospect, especially right. against a dude like Jamar Chase. So what do you expect? And he had a little bit of a. He actually had a good day yesterday, but he got beat on double move against DK Metcalf once again. You're playing a good receiver. He's got to make plays. That is what it is. So just want to go back and look back at those guys, hopefully look in my receiver rankings too. Got a chance to see, get a chance to see Jerry Jr. tonight. Excited about that. See KJ Hamlin run around. So going to be – still got some good football and good articles coming for this year. Um, 
one more question before we uh, sign off. When you're Absolutely. when you're watching like prospects and whatnot, how many games do you typically watch? I know it varies from people to people. Some people say three, some people say five or six if they really like the prospect. What's kind of the average amount of games you typically watch on, on prospects going into the season? Uh, I try to get in the three to five game range because obviously with prospects, you want to see – for me, I go to a game where they play a team that's a heavy passing team if they're a corner. Then I want to go to a game where they played their biggest game of the year. And then if you can, try to find a game where there was a struggle with weather a little bit. See how they see how they play with some adversity to them. That's where scout what contact comes into play. And not just watch the film. Watch how the guys around them are playing as well. Because if you see him using a technique that you don't necessarily like, then you got to look at the other players. Like maybe he's just coached to play that way. I read a scouting report a couple of days ago, actually, where they knocked Elijah Molden from Washington from lining up because he lines up in no man's land. Like, he's not quite impressed, not quite an off main. He's kind of in that in-between off coverage in his alignment. And I said, well, maybe that's just how he's taught. Like, that's just his alignment in the defense. So you can't really knock a prospect for his alignment. So it's just little things like that. Uh, three to five games, definitely the way to go. But some guys like Okuda, one and two, <laughs> you could probably just watch one. You're like, okay, I, I get it. There's just not guys who move like that at that size. It's, it's rare. And when you see a rare prospect, enjoy it. Don't be the person who tries to poke holes in people's games. Like, don't watch Trevor Lawrence and try to just make up, make up holes. Like, he's not perfect by any means, struggles with some consistency. But at the end of the day, he is the closest thing we've seen Andrew Luck, and that's what he will be. And he's got a chance to actually get to that point. So, Exactly, exactly. Uh, where can people uh, follow you on Twitter and, and find your work? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at blessbogan 5 uh, doesn't matter if you capitalize the Bs, you can find me. Or you just type in Jeremiah Bogan in the search bar. I try to keep a good feed. I try to keep it light, lighthearted, keep it funny throughout the week. And I like to retweet a lot of videos where I like to retweet a lot of other people, you know, to get other people's work out there. People who come up, who say a lot of good things. Like, for example, uh, the Croc Report. Eric Crocker puts out ex excellent corner content. A guy who played the position as well. A guy who I'm still learning from to this day as well when I read some of his stuff. And that's the thing about Twitter. Let's not be on there and bash each other. Let's try to learn from each other when we have the chance. Enjoy the fact that it's social media, man. It's not – no one's going to get a big time the – be the next big time scout because they bash people on Twitter. So enjoy everybody's company in, draft, in the draft community on draft Twitter and just – like yesterday, I tagged the Jim Nagy tweet, and now I'm on your podcast. So you, make, you meet good people in this business. For sure, man. Yeah, uh, like I said, I appreciate you doing that and, and appreciate your content, man. You, you're definitely one of uh, the more insightful guys on Draft Twitter. And, uh, you know, like I said, I'm learning from you myself. I'm learning a lot just from talking to you. So uh, Draft Twitter is a good community. And, and like you said, everybody just stay positive and, uh, you know, just have good conversation back and forth. I think the biggest issue all the time with Draft Twitter is that people are misunderstood or they're misinterpreted. And then that just goes into kind of spirals from there. Uh, but that'll do it for this episode, the uh, NFL Draft, the Big Shots NFL Draft podcast. Thank you so much, Jeremiah, for coming on and, and, and doing this podcast with me, man. No problem. Anytime. So you, you can follow him, like, as, like he said, on Twitter. Uh, you know, follow his work as well uh, with the first pick as well as Pro Football Ready. Uh, you can follow me at Twitter on RealD underscore Jackson. Uh, I got work at BlueChipScouting.com as well as Downtown Sports Network and uh, XFL Press if you're into the XFL as well. Uh, and also doing some work with Steelers Depot, uh, you know, doing some Steelers work as well. Uh, so you, for, so for you guys listen, uh, we'll see you next week.